0: Thank you, Carrie. My name's Evan. I'm the pastor of Rimrock Downtown. I want to start with really good news. According to the mayor and the city council, because of what they decided, we are going to open the doors of Rimrock Downtown next week. I know, I'm excited. I imagine everybody is hooting and hollering on your end of the camera. We're going to be doing it in a different way in order to respect uh, everything that's going on in order to do it in a safe manner you know, will be limited to the amount of people that can be down here. So there'll be a sign-up sheet that we're going to be issuing. We're going to have social distancing, masks, all that different types of stuff. But even though it'll be a little bit different, it's going to be so much better than how it is right now, in my opinion. You know, I know you can worship at home. You can be in the midst of your own family. That is really good. But some of the favorite parts of my weeks have been coming down here and worshiping with the worship team. There's just like two or three or four of us in here with them, but there's just, I can tell that this is how we are created to worship. To be in the midst of an environment where you are overwhelmed by people's love of God through their worship. So be watching for an email that Derek, the RD administrator, is going to be sending out on Sunday or Monday, kind of giving you more of an idea of what it will look like. Please only come down when you win and if you feel comfortable um, and reach out if you got any questions. Uh, Before we jump into the message, one last thing. As a teacher, I want to give you my desire behind these messages. You know, it is not to give you the tingle so that way you are inspired to come and listen to me more. My desire in everything that I lay out is for you to want to pursue the God of the Bible on your own, the reason why we look at the Bible every single week is to give you truths and tools so that way you can study the Bible on your own. You remember five, ten percent max of what we say, but if you take time after our messages or tomorrow and you read what we helped you unpack, I promise you you 're going to get so much more out of it so please just see this as of a uh, impetus or a catalyst for you to go much deeper on your own all right let's pray kind of still our minds so that way we uh, focus on what is true God we are here to know you more we are here because we need you and we want more of what only you can bring so please do that wherever we're at you're bigger than this entire church that's completely spread out interact individually with our minds and our emotions, so that way we can better know you and live the life that you want us to live. Amen. All right, so we are in a series that we entitled Jesus in the Old Testament. And we've been telling you this every week of the series, but repetition is is the way that most of us learn deeper principles. The God of the Bible does not change. He is not capricious and driven by emotion and situations. He is unchanging. So many things speak to this truth, like our natural world. How many times has the sun risen in the last 5, 10, 20,000 years? How well has the natural cycles, such as oxygen and water, been providing life to our planet? Without fail, we have been provided for. Another thing that speaks to his steadfast character is the history of mankind. Over the past month and a half, we've been looking at stories from the Old Testament, times in which the creator of everything directly interacts with humanity. In each of these stories that we examine, we see Yahweh, God the Father, acting and treating people in the way that Jesus did thousands of years later. If you take time to look at your life or ask somebody else about theirs, you will see that he treats you today the same way he did people in the Old and New Testament. My hope is in this series that if nothing else, you will gain a better, more concrete understanding of who the God that we worship is and who we can expect him to be in our days to come. I promise you that this thought can be life-changing. Last week, Ben looked at Exodus. This week, we're going to examine the days of the judges, the times when men like Gideon and Samson pulled off miraculous victories against powerful enemies. Most of us know about Samson killing a thousand men with a donkey's jawbone and getting seduced by Delilah. The book of Judges is an exciting, graphic, even provocative book. You know, if it was a movie, it would definitely be rated R but it is also an extremely insightful analysis of humanity's broken nature and the way that God responds to it. My hope is that we walk away tonight with three things. One, that we will inevitably face hardship in this life based on our own choices and the choices of others. Number two, but our creator is waiting to step in in order to deliver us in some form from our hardships. And three, he wants you to be a part of the deliverance that he is bringing. So the hardships will come, but God desires to step in to bring us salvation, and he wants to use us in the midst of that salvation. Now, before we start unpacking these, I want to give you a little context for the book of Judges. Like Ben looked at last week, Israel was miraculously freed from captivity uh, in Egypt. Then they spend 40 years wandering around the Sinai Peninsula. After that time's finished, Joshua leads his people into the promised land, the land of Canaan. After two successful campaigns with his military, they break the backbone of the Canaanites. At this point, Joshua then sends off the 12 tribes to their allotted land, telling them to trust God and to conquer the enemy. This is where the book of Judges picks up. So the book of Judges, just so you are aware, the first two chapters are more or less a summary of what the entire book uh, entails. After that, there's six, other, six judges that we see their specific stories. Tonight, we're going to specifically hone in on the summary. So Judges 2... Chapter 2, verses 6. When Joshua dismissed the people, the Israelites all went to their own inheritance to take possession of the land. The people worshipped the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. So they buried him within the bounds of his inheritance in Timnath-Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain north of Mount Gash. Moreover, that whole generation was gathered to their ancestors, and another generation grew up after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And that in and of itself, that verse is worth meditating on, building sermons off of. Verse 11, Then the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and worshipped the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and worshipped Baal and the Asartes. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to the plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the power of their enemies all around, so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against him to bring misfortune, as the Lord had warned them and sworn to them. And they were in great distress. So, number one, we will inevitably face hardship in this life due to our choices and the choices of others. After Joshua and those who had seen the Lord work mightily in Egypt and in the land of Canaan had died, the next generation chose to reject Yahweh, the one who had delivered their people from slavery and set them in a land flowing with milk and honey. Instead of choosing to trust and worship him, they instead decided to be like the other nations that they were surrounded by. They chose to bow down before idols that the surrounding culture deemed worthwhile. Because of the choices that they had made, they suffered the natural consequences. God pulled back his power. Because they chose to abandon God, he allowed them to leave his protection. Without the hand of God in their midst, the Israelite army didn't seem to stand a chance against the other nations. Remember, when Moses sent in spies, they came back reporting that the land was full of well-equipped giants. Without God's miraculous intervention, it seems that logic dictated that the Israelites would be overrun by the Canaanites, which they were. Because the people of God chose to reject God, God allowed them to face the natural consequences of their choices. I hope you're picking up on that key word, choice. You know, the same is true for us. We have been given free will. The ability or the freedom to make whatever choices we want to make. With free will comes not only the ability to choose, but also the natural consequences that come from our choices. You know, an analogy that's been really helpful for me, I don't know if I can bury it, is dominoes. Every day, there are endless dominoes standing in front of us, just waiting for us to push them over. You know, one of these areas is how we treat people. Our spouse, our kids, our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors, strangers. Are we kind? Are we patient? Are we loving? Or are we selfish, rude, judgmental, and spiteful? You know, other dominoes that stand in front of us are how we seek contentment lasting happiness do we turn to loving god and loving others spending our time worshiping through prayer studying the bible gathering with others using our resources to glorify him and loving other people in the way that they want to be loved being selfless or do we choose to chase contentment through making money becoming successful, getting people to think that we are as cool as we think we are because of how we look, the house we live in, the cars we drive, and the photos that we post on Instagram? Or are we seeking contentment through pleasure, by medicating through drugs and alcohol, or using sex to seek pleasure and hopes that it will truly fulfill us? You know, each time that we make a choice or push down a domino, natural consequences will follow. When we choose to love the people in our life, the dominoes fall towards relationships growing stronger. When we choose to seek contentment through the ways of our culture, the dominoes will fall slowly, sometimes quickly, towards being disenchanted, unsatisfied, and at times in dangerous places. You know, I feel like it's time as a teacher for an example. There's so many examples that I could give of this from my life, but thinking more big picture, you know, those of you that know me know that I partied like a rock star for 12 years of my life. From the time I was 15 to 27, 28, I made partying, seeking pleasure my God. I thought that that was what would bring me contentment through getting high and drinking. You know, and from that, the natural consequences were total discontentment, depression, you know, problems with my mind and my body, problems with the law, relationships started to crumble. You know, I was a saved child of God, but because of the choices that I made, He allowed me to experience the natural consequences. Most of what we, you and me, experience in our life is a direct result of the choices that we make. Because God didn't create us to be robots, He allows the natural consequences to occur. But, that is one of the most beautiful words in the Bible. But because God is merciful and gracious, Exodus 34, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and mercy, he does not allow the dominoes to cascade out of control towards utter destruction. Instead, when we choose to cry out to him, he steps in to make things right. Our creator is waiting to step in in order to deliver us in the here and now. Let's go back to the Bible. See how this rolls out for the Israelites in the days of the judges. So verses 17 and then 18. Yet they did not listen even to their own judges for they, excuse me, 16. I don't know what I put on there. Sorry, guys. Sorry, Levi. So verse 16. Then the Lord raises up judges who delivered them out of the power of those who plundered them. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge, for then the Lord is with the judge, and he delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord would be moved to pity by their groaning because of those who persecuted and oppressed them. When the people of Israel would be overwhelmed by the natural consequences of their choices, they would either realize their need for a God or be in a spot where they had no other choice than they would cry out to the one who had made them into a nation, the one who had miraculously delivered them from slavery to the one who had powerfully planted them in the land of Canaan. And when the people made this choice to turn back to him, God would respond in a logical way, the same way that we would he would turn to his people and say, you know what, there's no way I'm letting you do this. He would give them what they deserved and he would protect himself against the pain that he would inevitably feel because of what they would do to him in the future. Fortunately, God is not at all like humanity. That is not who God is. And that is not the way that he treated those who cried out to him. What we see is that the moment his rebellious people turned back to him, he would raise up a judge or deliver. People like Deborah, Gideon, Samson. And God just wouldn't ask this person to fight back against the nations that had taken Israel captive. He would also empower this person to do what they had to do. A key component in each of the six judges is the spirit of the Lord. Before the judge would stand up against the enemy, the spirit of the Lord would rush upon them. That means that God himself was interacting with their mind and their body, giving them the wisdom and the strength to accomplish the purposes that he is calling them to do. And if you read through their different stories, God did not call them to sit idly by in a tabernacle and pray that the enemy would go away. Rather, he leads and empowers them to do mighty and heroic deeds against the wickedness that had overwhelmed his people. Things like tearing down an altar in the middle of a city, or impaling a king in the midst of his own bathroom, or pounding a tent peg through a commander's temple while he was sleeping. Because the Israelites would cry out to God for deliverance, he would raise up a deliverer and empower them to do whatever they needed to do in order to bring the Israelites peace, safety, and security. Now, why is a really important question to ask. Why would he do this time and time again after the people that he had done so much for continually chose to reject him? Why would he not simply let them face the natural consequences of their choices? It's because of who he is. Remember Exodus 34? Merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and righteousness and faithfulness. We have been seeing this from the beginning of human history. Out of his love, his compassion for his creation, the almighty maker of heaven and earth continually shows mankind mercy and grace. He always gives us the ability to choose, but the moment that we choose to turn back to him, to trust him, then he mightily interacts with our brokenness in order to restore us to our original design. And this is what God has been doing throughout the entire Bible. And because he does not change, this is what he does for us today. When you are overwhelmed by the brokenness of your own foolish choices, you always have two options in front of you. Continue to experience the natural consequences of your own stupidity. Or cry out to the one who made you. I believe it's really that simple. You can trust yourself your own power, your own logic, wisdom, ingenuity, your own ability to save yourself from yourself, or you can choose to trust the one that causes the sun to rise and the rain to fall, the one who beautifully provides us with life day after day. Now, in the realm of logic, for me, this is an easy decision. What should make it even more appealing is the way that God will respond to our cry. According to the stories in Judges and the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus told, the moment that a person turns back to God, he steps into their brokenness and begins to piece their life back together. Let's check out the climax of the prodigal son parable. John, excuse me, Luke 15, 17 through 20. Such a powerful story. But when he, the youngest son, who had abandoned his father, came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Notice he didn't give his son a moment to explain himself, to grovel. In order to receive God's mercy and his grace, we do not have to pull our lives back together. We do not have to humbly crawl to his feet, showing him how unworthy we are of his love. Because God is perfect in his steadfast love and his mercy, all a person has to do is simply cry out to him for help. Choose to turn away from themselves and their own wisdom and abilities, and instead choose to trust the creator of everything to bring them what they need. When we do this, God will bring us life in so many different ways. But from my experience, it seems like he often works in the way he worked through the judges, through other people. When we cry out, he raises up a deliverer for us, someone he uses to free us from the chains of our oppressors. Now, these may be physical chains, but in the world society that we live in, the people of this church, they are most likely mental and emotional. God brings people into our lives to show us love to speak wisdom and truth, to give us support, encouragement, and to challenge us to live the way that we've been created to live. You know, this past week I've been thinking about those 13 years of my utter foolishness and the natural consequences that I faced because of that. But throughout that entire time, there was constantly deliverers being brought into my world. My parents loved me consistently through all of my rebellion. A youth pastor, Todd Hillard, showed me time and time again that the God of the Bible is all about grace and mercy. You know, my wife, she hung with me, and she also challenged me to be a better man and a better husband. There's a stranger at our church that I had never met before boldly spoke three words to me that God told her to tell me that utterly changed the trajectory of my life. These people are what allowed me to turn back to God and then receive the goodness that only he can bring. If you spend time looking at your past, if you know and follow Jesus, I promise you that you will see people that God brought into your life to deliver you from your own foolish choices. Please hear me on this. If and when you find yourself in the midst of self-induced hardship, die to yourself to your pride and your arrogance and cry out to the one who saved you in the past. Turn away from yourself and choose to trust God. If you do this, when you do this, you will begin to experience the life that you want. The third, the last thing I want us to think about is that God wants to use you in his plans to deliver others. Now, for you, this may seem a bit too rosy colored, optimistic, and naive. You may be thinking, man, how could God use me? I'm so inadequate, unskilled. I'm small in the eyes of others and full of flaws. How could He use me? You've got to remember the Bible is simply recorded human history. The judges were real people, just like you and me, as were the prophets, the disciples, the apostles. They were ordinary and flawed people that God used to make his power and his presence known to those in broken places. Remember, every single judge had the Spirit of God within them. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins, then you as well have received the Spirit of God. Take a moment to think about that. That can be so Christian cliche that I have the spirit, but that means that God himself, the creator of everything, is within your heart. That's your mind, your emotions, your willpower, those things that make you who you are, that drive you to do what you want to do. From this spot, he can guide, influence, and empower you to do things that are far beyond your normal, like deliver someone from bondage. And we are surrounded by people. I know it's a little bit different over the last month and a half. Whether you're physically surrounded or it's through technology, you are surrounded by people, your family, your friends, your neighbors, people from work, people from church, people who enjoy similar hobbies. I guarantee that within your community, there are people who are suffering the consequences of their own choices, big, small, How often do you ask God to bring his goodness into other people's lives through you? How often do you say, God, you can use me however you want to use me in the lives of the people in my community? Instead of sitting back and wondering when someone is going to help that person, why not be courageous and ask God to use you to bring his goodness to their lives? Ladies and gentlemen, we are alive during this time and in this place for a reason. God has given you talents and gifts for specific purposes. We are called to be ambassadors of Christ To step into the darkness and bring the light. You are surrounded by people so that way God can use you to bring His goodness into their lives. So I challenge you each morning for this week to come, pray that prayer God, I give you my life. Show me who I can love. Show me who I can come alongside and bring your goodness. And when that name or that face comes to you, ask God for the power to do it right and to step in to bring him into those people's world. You know, one thing that's really important that we must always remember is that we are his representatives. We are not their savior. Our goal is to lead them to the true judge. You know, an interesting part about the way the book of Judges is written, you know, there's a total of six judges. Symbolically, in Hebrew, six is incomplete. And each time that you see a judge do what they do, their effects upon the enemy gets less and less. By the time you get to Samson, the sixth judge, he never frees Israel completely. And he himself gets thrown into bondage. The author wants us to know that Jesus, the Son of God, is the only one that can truly bring deliverance to our lives. So as you interact with these people, as you boldly step into their lives, it's not about what you can do for them, but rather about who you can lead them to. Pray with me right now, that exact prayer. God, you have saved us from so much. Empower us to bring your goodness to other people. Put somebody on my mind, somebody's name, their face. Bring somebody into my life so that way I can point them to you. Use me however you desire. You've given me so much good. Without you, I have nothing. Therefore, I give you all I have. Amen.